we started uh, last week a Bible study on the Lord's Prayer, and uh, I'll review real, real quick, not last week, I'm sorry, uh, Brother Dave Bunch taught last Sunday, and then, uh, but the week before we did, and so I'll uh, just review just a little bit, get us back up to speed, and then we want to continue uh, in that study. When we are talking about prayer, we are talking about the basic communication between us and God. Communication is so important, even with God who knows everything. Uh, He does know the intent of your heart. He does know these things, but he requires and asks of us to communicate with him anyway. And so uh, many of us do, and, and everybody goes through times, and then some of us, our whole life struggles with prayer. We struggle with a prayer life, and uh, the disciples were no different. In Luke 11 and 1, Jesus, they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. In other words, we don't know how to pray, and so we need you to teach us. And so Jesus, uh, in his love and in his mercy, and always, this is what I find so awesome about God, is he expects us to do certain things. I'll do this if you'll do this. So he does all of his part without help, even though a lot of times we try to help. Then God will help us with our part. So he's carrying more than his share of the load uh, in our relationship with him. But he teaches us to to pray, and he gives us a model prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. uh, but, But when he begins... His discourse on this prayer, when he, when the disciples ask this question, he begins to talk to them. He tells, us, he tells them and he's telling us, before I teach you how to pray, I'm going to teach you how to pray. Before I give you that, I just got that crazy look. Before I give you this model prayer and how I want you to, to engage in prayer, I'm going to teach you the way I want you to pray or how to pray. And because Jesus knew that prayer could become hypocritical, he knew that it could become a a habit that was just a ritual, it no longer had any meaning, that it could become vain repetition, that prayer could become an avenue that people would seek glory unto themselves. Uh, Prayer, you didn't know that when people pray that some people are looking for attention and not a connected time with God. Uh, I have seen it in my short life. I've seen people that do that. And so Jesus knew that was coming. So he taught uh, He taught us how to pray and then taught us or gave us a model prayer. And he said, first of all, this is what we talked about two Sundays ago. First, I want you to pray regularly. Pray often. When you pray, pray sincerely. Don't be like the hypocrites are. Don't pray like them. Uh, then he said to go into your closet and pray, or pray secretly, and that he would reward you openly. And then pray, pray thoughtfully and don't use the vain repetition. So that's the first thing that Jesus says about prayer. And then uh, he gets into his, his topic, or he gets into his model prayer. And then in Matthew 6 and 9, Jesus says, After this manner, therefore pray ye. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. And you can just leave that up real quick for a minute, Hannah, I'd appreciate it. 
We'll get to that more in just a second. But I want to stop here. Jesus did not give us this prayer to recite. This is not to be printed out on a piece of paper and just recite this prayer and just think that I'm praying. He is giving us an outline. It's a guideline. When you pray, engage these certain concepts. I want you to engage the way that this prayer is designed and so it, it is a model prayer or a pattern that we can learn to pray. So Jesus says, after this manner, he's giving us not just words and phrases, but it's thoughts, it's, it's a pattern that we can use to pray. And Jesus says, when you pray this way, that it is, it is the prayer pattern or it's the model that, that he wants to hear. So if you want to pray to God the way God wants to be prayed to, then you can use this pattern, and you can use this prayer. And he will teach us how to do that. Within this prayer, uh, as we get started in it, there's two parts that it can be broken down to. The first one is holiness and the will of God. And the second part is meeting our personal needs. Okay? We won't get through all of this today. I can guarantee you we won't get through all of this today. But we'll do our best to get as far as we can. I don't want to wear you out with it. So as you'll see on the screen, the first thing that Jesus says about this model prayer in Matthew 6 and 9 is our Father. Our Father. When we go to God in prayer, when we open our prayer meeting, when we start our prayer session, whatever it is that uh, you want to call it, we open that and address God by who He is. We are taught when we open our prayer to understand who we are praying to. This is not just an imaginative figure. This is not somebody's uh, imagination. It's not some great title that we give something that does it or does not exist. And it's up to your, up to your mindset or your opinion. The idea is that when you engage a session of prayer, when you begin to pray, you recognize who you're praying to. When we say, God, you are our Father, and there's, there's a lot more to that, and we'll talk about it in just a minute. But we're recognizing who God is. We're recognizing the fact that He is God, that He is sovereign, that He is uh, in charge, that He is, uh, as Brother Tenney says, He's large, and He's in charge. That there's nothing that can shake God. There's nothing... That can rattle God. In our society today, it's, it's kind of a, uh, it's become a bad uh, thing. And I've met people uh, that, that suffer with this. They don't have a real good relationship with their father. I remember uh, a, a young lady that, that I talked Bible study to for a while had a very negative opinion because of a circumstance about her father. And that carries over into a relationship with God. So when I would tell uh, this young lady in Bible study, you know, that God is your father, that didn't impress her a lot. That didn't conjure up ideas of trust. It didn't conjure up ideas of provision. It didn't conjure up ideas or thoughts of love and compassion and self-sacrifice as it does for most of us. 
But God is, is telling us, our Father, when you approach God, understand that regardless of your opinion of fathership or, or what a dad is, that God is perfect. And so that if even if your relationship with your father is not perfect or was not perfect, um, God is that relationship with a father that is everybody's dream. It's everybody, man, if I could have a relationship with my father, then it would have been this way. Man, it would have been wonderful. It would have been awesome. I mean, God, uh, daddy would have taken me fishing all the time. That's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. So he's teaching us to, to understand that he's loving, he's compassionate, he's merciful, he's gracious, he's forgiving. He is our father. But he isn't, but he isn't everyone's father. He's not everyone's father. It's our father. Jesus said to religious leaders, you are of your father, the devil, in John 8 and 44. Isn't that interesting? I never really thought about it until preparing for this lesson that, you know, the Bible says in another place that everyone that says, that cries, Abba, Father, is, you know, is not a child of God, is not going to make it to the kingdom of heaven. And so when, when God is, when God is in, giving us this model. When Jesus says these words, he's saying our father. But he's not everyone's father. In John 1 and 10 through 12, the Bible tells us that everybody that is that is receives the spirit of Christ, if you receive the Holy Ghost, if you're born again, then you have the right to be called the children of God. You have a right to be called the child of God. And so Jesus has given this model prayer not to everybody, but to those that are his children. When you address somebody as my father or our father, when you go to somebody and say, Father, then, then you are assuming or you should be in the role or the you should have the title of a child of that person. Surely you don't go down the mall, find some old guy, and just walk up and say, Hey, Father. So Jesus is saying that the first thing you have to do to engage this model of prayer, to receive the blessings of this model of prayer, is to be a child of God. Romans 8 and 15 says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We become a child of God, and when you become a child of God, then you have the uh, biblical right, I guess you could say, to engage this prayer. The second thing that when we walk up and say, Our Father, that we find out is that you're not the only kid in the family. I know, but I thought I was the most important to God. I thought I was kind of <laughs> to God. Well, let me tell you, I hate to bust your bubble, but you're not. Are you important to God? Yes. Are you more important than the person that you're sitting next to? No. Are you more important than anybody else in this building? No. With God, the Bible says he is not a respecter of persons. 
Have you ever known somebody that had favorites when it dealt with their kids or grandkids? My mom had favorites. My brother that's just younger than me, the boy could do no wrong. I think I've got a witness in the house. I was beat unmercifully. Just, do you buy any of that? No pity, huh? But I've seen people that had favorites with their kids. My mom truly did not have any favorites. I'm just joking a little bit. Um, but I've seen people that have favorites with their kids or favorites with their grandkids. Um, remember a, a situation that happened at my aunt's house, Sister Bunch's house, many years ago with a great-grandmother. We called her affectionately Granny. And Granny was sitting, had a bowl of pecans, was sitting there, and one of uh, my cousins walked up and grabbed some pecans, and Granny just made a kind of little smirky face and chit-chatted with them a second or whatever. And the, the brother of the other one walked up to grab some pecans and got a swift swat. Just, wow, get your hands out there, boy. A little bit of favoritism there. I didn't think it was fair in my young teenage years, but anyway, that's just the way it was. But God doesn't do that. God doesn't have favorites. God doesn't base your relationship with Him on who you are. It's not based on your economic status. It's not based on who your family was, what part of town you came from. None of these factors factor in to God and His relationship with you and your title as a child of God. A child of God is a child of God. Whether you have a lot or whether you have little. Whether uh, you are young, whether you are old. It does not matter to God. And people in their mindsets, and, and everybody will probably has gone through this at some point, feel like that somebody else is closer to God or has a greater uh, road into God or receives more blessing from God than I do so God doesn't care for me as much as he cares for them and that's simply not true a child of God is on the same level playing field as every other child of God there may be reasons they receive more from God than you do but it does not mean that God loves you less than he loves you so we, re we must recognize we're the no we are not the only child in the family. We all belong to God, and we all have some siblings. That's why we call each other brother and sister. We're all siblings to God, and so we can't be selfish in our prayers. So when God takes on the title of Father, He lets us know that He is somebody we can trust. Our welfare, our, our well-being as a child of God is always on his mind. Always on his mind. His, his number one goal is to make sure, not that we live a perfect life here, but that we inherit a perfect life later. And so our life here is, is, is directed by his hand, being our father, to make sure that we obtain the life that he has for us. So he's always someone that we can trust. 
You can trust God. You know God can keep a secret. I've told people before, they say, I just don't have any way to vent my feelings and and I get all this stuff all balled up and I don't have anybody to talk to. And I said, why don't you talk to God? You can tell God anything. Prayer is not that where you have to sit down and quote this. You don't have to quote this prayer. Oh, God, thou art so holy. And you got to put that little in your voice to sound like Elmer Fudd. You don't have to do that to pray. You don't have to talk in English brogue. You don't have to be King James to, to pray. Tell God how you feel. I've, I've heard all my life, never question God. Don't ever ask God why anything. And that may be, that may be true, and, and I don't question the will of God, but sometimes you have a question why. And God's a lot bigger than your question. God's a lot bigger than your question. And he's a lot bigger than than how you feel. And so you can go to God, and I've told people this before. Go to God and say, God, I'm having a bad day. In fact, this day stinks. Talk to him. He's your friend. He is a constant friend that's there. The friend, the Bible says, that's sticking closer than a brother. So uh, so communicate with him. You can trust him. He He won't tell all your business. I've done it and say, God, I just can't stand that person. I've, I've said it, God, there's people I just don't like. It's personality conflict, just don't care for them. God, I don't like them. I'm going to do everything I can to love them, but I don't like them. Boy, they just made me mad. Talk to God. He won't tell your business, but he'll help you with it. He'll help you with it. You can trust God. God is somebody as our Father who will provide. And he talks about it, and we'll talk about it later in Matthew chapter 6, when he says, don't worry about not having enough food, don't worry about not having enough water, and don't worry about your clothing. I know that you need these things, and I'm going to take care of it. It may not be a filet mignon. It may not be uh, your favorite beverage, a, a big Diet Coke or a tab. It may not be the nicest clothes. But you're going to be taken care of. God is going to take care of you. So he is a provider. So we don't have to worry about these things. And some people I say, well, I don't worry about it. I'm just concerned. Well, if concern keeps you up at night, if concern makes you bite your fingernails, Concern is running your health. You might have transferred to a little bit of, and don't worry about these things. You can know that you can trust God. It will cure your worry. Matthew 6, uh, 32 says, Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So don't worry about these things. Jesus said, that he takes care of the birds. Have you ever seen a nervous bird, one that's worried about something? Honestly, we say that birds are dumb, especially owls at night because they'll fly into the headlights of your car because they think there's some great shining light or something. I've hit several of them in my life. You see them all over the side of the road. 
constantly. Owls, they see the headlights, they just can't help it, they have to fly into them. And I don't understand it. So we say birds are dumb, but are they really all that dumb? Have you ever seen one just nervous? <laughs> Ringing its wings. I hope there's a worm out there today. I hope I go out there and I can find a worm. <laughs> Boy, if I don't get a couple of berries or something, it's going to be starvation today. They don't worry. They're not stressed at all. They go out and they know somehow in their little brains that are so tiny that God is going to provide for me today. I've always heard that the early bird gets the worm. You ever heard that statement? You ever realize the early worm gets eaten by the bird? If that worm had stayed in bed just a little while longer, that other dude next door would have got it. So if God is going to take care of the birds, if God, I've never seen, and I've hunted for years, I've never seen a deer with high blood pressure medicine. I've never seen anything like that. The reason why is they don't worry. They trust God. They don't know any better. They don't worry about things. And so we need to get to that point the best we can to not worry and to let God, to understand that our Father, when we pray, our Father, the one that provides for us, is going to take care of us. Matthew 7, 11 says, But if ye, then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good gifts to them that ask him? So if all of us, none of us, would give our child or our grandchild something evil, you would not, you just wouldn't do that. Here, boy, come here. I got a present for you. Found this rattlesnake a minute ago. Here, play with it. You wouldn't do that. Here, here's a bottle of poison. See if you can get the top of it off of it for granddad. You wouldn't do that stuff. Why do we think that God would do that? Well, God sent all these trials into my life. God doesn't give us bad gifts. The Bible says every good and perfect gift from above things happen in life yes they do God allows things yes they do but God provides us good and perfect gifts the third thing we need to understand is our father and all of this stuff applies to his children now we have to be living as a child of God for this stuff to apply we have someone that will protect. As your father, God will protect. Even in difficult circumstances, when fear grips us the most, we can understand that God is there to protect us. When we don't know what's going on in life, we know that God has all things in control and can conquer that fear. We know that God has uh, all the final decision. He has all the power and he makes the final decision. He is in charge of what happens. 
When we make our request, sometimes he says yes, and sometimes he says no. But you have to trust God as your father that he's making the best decision for your life. For all of you that have got that kids or grandkids, have you always said yes to every request? Every time somebody, I never got a request granted from my mom. Can I have this toy? No. Brother walked up. Can I have this toy? Sure. Picket order today. It's not true. That's not true. But there were times when I would ask my mom for things that she knew better. I'm going to tell one on it. Man, that uh, right after my dad died, invited me to go elk hunting in the state of Washington, and I wanted to go bad. You remember that? I wanted to go bad, but mom knew. And, and look, at 12, 13 years old, I couldn't understand all of the reasoning and all of the stuff as to why and all that stuff. It probably wasn't even a sincere invite. It was probably just, hey, buddy, I'm gonna, I won't take you elk hunting one day. It's kind of a, I'm sorry that your dad died business. And mom knew all of this stuff, but she couldn't explain it to me because I wasn't mature enough to understand it. And so she said, no. And boy, I was, I was so upset. Well, being that she just went ahead and told you I was mad, I got angry. I was mad at my mom because she denied me what I thought was my dream. I wanted to, I still haven't gone elk hunting. I'm 40 years old and I've never seen an elk alive except in the zoo. And I was angry because my mom denied me this dream to go, and I had a guy that was going to do it, man, he was going to. Him and my dad hunted together. They were friends. I mean, this guy knows how to hunt. He knows where the elk are. I mean, I can go up there and kill one. And, you know, and I'm not even thinking about money. I'm not thinking about I've, I was in school. What am I even going to use to hunt them with? I don't have anything to shoot them with. I had all of these, but I never thought about that. But mom knew. And so she denied that request. Not because she was being mean, although you couldn't convince me of that at the time. But because she knew something that I didn't know. And I didn't get an answer as to why. Because I wasn't mature enough to handle it. I thought I was. Man, at 13, I had, I'm going to tell you the true story. I had figured out at about 13 or 14 years old how I can move back to where I came from in Missouri and could live on $70 a month. House, car, gas, everything for 70 bucks a month. You think I was mature? God is the same way. There are things, it is a dream. And God is the only thing that stands in the way of me receiving my dream, and he says no. 
and we get mad, just like I did. Can't believe it. I can handle it. No, you can't. Why, why can't I go? Can't handle the answer. You're not mature enough to understand the reasoning and the logic. So there's things that don't come to our life. It's not because God's being mean. It's because he's our father and he knows you can't do this and you can't handle it. You haven't thought it through and you don't understand all the consequences and you don't understand all the cost involved. There's it's going to be a price tag that maybe you can't pay or maybe you know that you don't realize it but you're not willing to pay for certain things to happen so God as our father says no and we get mad at God and God loves us anyway and hopes uh, as in this case between me and my mom that over a process of time I got over it kind of We have to trust God we have to trust he is our father and that he has our best interest at heart all the time. Even when the greatest things that we dream about and God is the only one that can supply it and he says no and we get mad. You understand that God is still has our best interest at heart because he is our father. And when we begin to pray, we need to address him as who he is. I'm not saying you have to start saying, oh, father, but I am saying that when you when you pray you recognize God for who he is that he is in charge that his uh, will needs to be done that he is the God of my life he directs my life and even when I don't get what I want even when I don't get what I think I deserve when God tells me no there's a reason for that, and it's for my best interest. And if we can know that, you're not going to feel it. You're not going to feel it. You're going to feel angry. You can't trust feelings. They'll lie to you. Do you know that? Uh, God, I'm, I'm mad and I'm hurt right now, but I still trust you. Somehow I know in my mind that you've got everything under control. Another part of God being our Father is that we can recognize that we have someone that's available anytime that we need Him. No matter what's going on during the day, I've got two little boys, and if they needed me, if they needed me, I would drop what I was doing and go help them. Yes, yeah, let's see, Friday evening. We were sitting at home, I'd gotten off work, and Christy and I were in the living room, we're sitting there talking, and I had the blinds open, both the boys were in the backyard playing, and I have a swing set I've built for them, it's a big wooden fork swing set combination thing, and slide and all that business, and I looked out, and, and where the swing's attached, there is a, uh, it's an eight by eight. It lays sideways across the top of the fort and it's concrete in the ground and swings attached to it where they swing. And I looked out and one of the swings had somehow gotten a loop around. It was hanging over the top of it. And there's Josh. Has climbed up on the in the fort and was climbing over the railing to walk out on that eight by eight, carrying a bag of potato chips with the intention of putting down. 
And he doesn't have the best balance. And I, and I recognized, as soon as I saw it, I didn't even have time to say anything to Christy, I recognized the fact that my son needed me. And he needed me now. Because I can tell you what was fixing to happen. I bolted out the door. But I didn't want to scream at him and scare him because he was already over the railing. He'd fall off then by jumping. So I, I, I just I said, Josh, Josh, hold on, bud. Hold on just a second. And I ran out there. It did not matter what I was doing. I was talking to Christy. We were having a very important conversation. But when my child needed me, it all changed. Priorities changed. And there's, and there's nobody in here that wouldn't have done the same thing or no doubt have done the same thing. God is the same way as our Father. As we go through life, God interacts with us and we interact with God. But when the time comes that we need God, you can rest assured that priorities are fixing to change in God's economy and you're going to get some attention. Anytime you call, when, when, the, when you get a phone call from a doctor's in the middle of the night or, or the hospital or the law enforcement or whoever it is, understand that God is there and he is going to show up and take care and be with you in that time of need. I was able to rescue Josh. I got swing down myself. And there's a lot of trouble we'll avoid in life as a child of God if we'll recognize that God is, is our Father and He will take care of that and He's there anytime that we call Him if we'll just ask Him. I told Him, I said, Son, don't you ever climb out on that again. I said, the next time the swing gets flipped over, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to come get you, Dad. Good answer, boy. Good answer. How much trouble, how many swing sets spiritually could we, we, we never fall off of if we would just go get dad to begin with? If we would just go to God and say, God, there's a circumstance I'm facing and I'm not sure the best way to approach it. I don't know, my, my swing has kind of got stuck on the top up there and I don't know how to take care of this and so I'm coming to you first before I even try. How much trouble could we avoid? And then another thing, and the fifth thing about God being our Father is that we have a Father who will discipline. The part we don't like. The part about God we don't like. I'll, there's a guy, and I'm not going to tell you who it is or the name of the book, because you don't need to go read it, but there's a guy has written a book a couple of months ago. Uh, it's just been released that um, takes hell out of eternity. He says he can scripturally prove that there is no hell. The flood of rebuttal books has been unbelievable. But anyway, uh, knowing this guy and, and what he believes in, I don't doubt. Uh, I've read his mission statement. I've read his statement of beliefs for his church. They don't believe anything. They don't believe anything. But anyway, he's taken hell out of out of. His, uh, his message, they don't believe anymore that God uh, punishes, neither do they believe that God disciplines, that God loves everybody so much that there's no way that God could do anything like that. And that's simply just not scriptural. There are times when God disciplines his people. He disciplines 
this children. I remember hearing in my younger years, you know, that the I'm fixing to give you a spanking and this will hurt me more than it hurts you. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever believed it before you became a parent had to discipline kids? Christians, do you ever even get a spanking? I don't doubt that. You get spankings? Really? You're an angel, though, I thought. Do you ever get one from your grandma? Wow, I would have never dreamed that. Before I had kids and had to give and discipline them, when people, when I heard that this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, I'm like, you're not the one with the belt on the backside. I don't see how that's possible. But I have come to the place in my life where I, I have to discipline the kids because I don't want them to grow up to be heathens. But it's not because I gain any pleasure or joy out of it. And it does hurt me. I don't want to spank my kids. I don't want to. Every time they get a spanking, I do tell you, I, I do spank them. Every time they get a spanking, it's because they push the envelope and push the envelope. I've been in trouble with my mom. Don't you spank them babies. They're just sweethearts. They're just babies. Like, yeah, what happened to all that mentality back when I was a kid and a sweetheart and a baby? I got brutalized. I'll get in trouble for all this. She's having lunch at my house today, so I'll hear about it. But you, you discipline kids because you love them. You don't want, look. Kid gets ready to run out in the road, and you tell him 15 times, don't ride your bicycle out in the road because you're going to get what? Hit by a car. What is worse? The pain of a spanking to make them not go out on the road or them getting in the accident. And so there's times when God disciplines us. He, he's, he'll tell us, and he'll move on us, and through the word of God, and through the man of God, and through uh, him speaking to us, he'll tell us, don't do this, don't, don't go there, don't act like this, get rid of this attitude, forgive these people. Whatever it is, get rid of this mentality, uh, do this, do And we, nah, I want to hold on to my bitterness, I want to hold on to my grudge, I just hate that person, and, and I'm just, it's the way it is. And so, pastor gets up and he teaches a Bible study on forgiveness, and you know deep down in your heart, you need to go forgive, and I'm just using this as an example, but you decide not to. And it's on and on and on and on, and finally, because God realizes and knows where this is fixing to wind up, you're fixing to wind up in the street and get, he says, I've got to try to discipline, tired of talking, I, used to, I do the one, two, three, never got that when I was a kid, take the garbage out. If you wasn't moving, you got hit. Was it that bad? So God will tell and talk, and I do the one, two, three, and I'll say, you know, one, come on, boy, you know, get up. And get. But after a while, God disciplines, and he does it because he is our father. He loves us. And instead of seeing us ride our bike out in the road and get hit by a car, he would rather discipline us. And teach us not to ride our bike out into the road. And that way we never have that situation. We never have that problem come up in our life. Because he is our father. So when we go to God in prayer. 
out of five points today, I got through one. I'll do better next week. But as we go through, as we approach God in prayer, we need to recognize who he is. And when Jesus said, after this man will pray, you dare our father. He's our father. I'm his child. And I recognize as the father that you're going to protect me, that you're going to provide for me, that you have everything under control. You have all power. I don't have to worry about anything. I trust you. And that sometimes, God, before I make just grievous, dumb mistakes, you're going to do your best to keep me from making those mistakes. Even sometimes it involves discipline. Because of that, he is our father. And I appreciate uh, that role that God takes uh, this morning so very much. He's kept me out of much trouble because of that role that he takes. God bless you this morning. Thank you for being here. Don't go anywhere. We have a second service coming up in just a few minutes. We're going to have a great, great time in the Holy Ghost. Don't you appreciate the Lord this morning? God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.